Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. Jesus goes on and he says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy, enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, as I was preparing this lesson and, and uh, was actually in a hotel over in Clearwater, as I was sitting in the hotel writing this message, the first thing that came to my mind as I read over the passage, I just kind of prayed over it and said, Lord, how do you want us to go? Where do you want us to get started? The first thing that I wrote down in my notes was tonight we're going to go from preaching to meddling. So I'm just going to tell you right now, we're, we're, going to, we're going to get deep. And what I mean by, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, it's the old joke of, hey, the preacher going from preaching to meddling. It, it, it kind of goes like this. The, the preacher went to one of the farmers in his church, and he said, you know, if you had 100 pigs, would you give God 50 of those pigs? He said, preacher, you know I would. I love the Lord. And the preacher said, well, you know, if you had 50 pigs, would you give God 25 of those pigs? He said, preacher, you know I would. I love the Lord. He said, if you had 10 pigs, would you give God five of those pigs? He said, you know I would, preacher, I love the Lord. He said, if you had two pigs, would you give God one? The farmer says, now, no, preacher, you know I have two pigs. <laughs> In this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he continues to use the heart of the law to reveal the heart of man. The Jews had become masters in their own minds as to how to keep the letter of the law, but Jesus has been showing them that they were guilty of breaking the heart of the law and therefore guilty of breaking the letter as well. He does this in our section for tonight in a slightly different way. He's been showing them that they've been breaking God's law by doing the bad things, by not keeping the heart of the thou shalt nots. But now he will reveal their disobedience in the good things or the thou shalts. In James chapter 4, verse 17, you can write it down and look at it later. It says, to him who knows what good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And so we're going to see him start moving away from the thou shalt nots to the thou shalts. But even in the thou shalts, God was revealing their heart and their sinfulness. So we're going to see once again, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, and he quotes from the Old Testament. But you're going to see tonight that actually he quotes from the Old Testament and where he's quoting from are actually three different places so let's take a look at the first one. Go to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 through 26. Exodus 21, starting in verse 22. It says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, 
foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So here we see that if someone had done some physical damage to a pregnant woman, and there was no harm, even though her child came out, there's no harm, the husband's going to impose what the fine or what the judge decides. But if there is harm, if it's, the baby dies, it's life for life, foot for foot, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Go to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 through 22. Leviticus 24, verse 17. It says, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So here again, in the book of Leviticus, we see the law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. When there's injury or harm done, there needs to be just equal response. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Look at verses 15 through 21. Deuteronomy 19, verses 15 through 21. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against the person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So shall you purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So now three times we see in the Old Testament law that God was explaining eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But at the heart of this eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth law is actually a desire to keep them from escalating the retaliation. I want you to catch that because it appears that Jesus is changing the law. The law clearly says if someone does something to you, you get the right to do it back equal amount. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, so on. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, but I say if someone slaps you on the cheek... Don't slap them back. Give them the other cheek as well. Someone forces you to go a mile, go two miles. Someone wants to borrow from you, just give it to them. And so interestingly enough, it appears on the surface that Jesus is changing the law. He's not changing the law. I'm going to show you that from Scripture today. But So you need to understand the heart of the law, though, was designed this way to keep man from escalating retaliation. In other words, you kill my... My chicken, I'm going to kill your pig. You kill my pig, I'm going to kill your cow. You kill my cow, I'm going to kill your daughter. You see what I'm saying? And so keep them from the escalating retaliation. And by the way, if you've ever raised kids, you know what I'm talking about. When one does something to the other, the retaliation is always greater, isn't it? Because they're like, all right, you do that, I'm going to make it hurt even worse. And then, So in the heart of this law, God was trying to keep them 
from retaliating. And so he said, if this is done, this is as far as you can go in response. Now, Jesus, like I said, takes it deeper and says, don't repay them with evil at all. By the way, this heart of the law has been in the Old Testament all along. This heart of no retaliation has been in the Old Testament all along. Go with me to Genesis chapter 50. Look at verses 15 through 21. Now, if you know the story of Joseph and his brothers, Joseph's brothers, had they treated him good when he was little? No, they treated him badly. And then when they had the opportunity, they thought about killing him. But then they decided they'd make more money if they didn't kill him. And they actually sold him as a slave. And they beat him up and threw him in a well, took his coat and covered it with animal blood just to make his dad think he had been killed somehow. And they sold him as a slave. As you know, years later, they end up having to go to Egypt where Joseph has eventually made it. And he's now second in command over all of Egypt. And he's got all this power and authority. And they find out that Joseph is, is alive and he's now over them, and they're scared to death. But they're thinking that he's not going to retaliate because dad's still alive. But as soon as dad dies, Joseph's brothers are scared to death. And look what happens, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the heart of the law. The reason God said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth was because of their sinfulness and to also keep them from retaliating in an escalating fashion. But at the heart of the law was, I'd rather you not retaliate at all. And we see that in the heart of God in Joseph's response. I don't want you to miss this. Look at what Joseph says when he hears his brother say, look, please, dad's dead. And he said that he asked that you would not repay us. What is Joseph's response in verse 19? He said, am I in the place of God? In other words, what's he saying? The brothers are saying, don't repay us for the evil we did. And he said, that's God's job. Yes, that's actually where we're going to go. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, as you just said, Bill. Go to Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 9 through 21. This is an amazing section of scripture that I could spend the rest of tonight just camping in because there's so much here uh, dealing with how the church should treat each other. In Romans chapter 12, look at verses 9 through 21. It says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that interesting? Instead of outdoing one another in retaliation, outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So here we see the heart of the law of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was to keep them from the escalating repayment. But ultimately, the heart of God was, if something was done to you, you leave the vengeance and the repayment to me. That's been God's heart all along. And Joseph understood that even before the law came. Now, Joseph's response to his brothers also reveals another deep truth about the value of trusting God and not retaliating. Sorry, retaliating when someone does us wrong. You remember what he said? He said, first of all, am I in the place of God? In other words, that's God's job to repay you for what you've done, not me. And then he also said what? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's actually something deeper going on here. And when, when we retaliate because or we think we have to get our rights taken care of or we try to repay something for what they've done or we think we need to right the wrong, two things are happening. One, we're putting ourselves in the place of God and that's his job and you better not do that, by the way. And secondly, we're also missing out on what God's going to do through it. Did you catch at the end of Romans 12 when you're nice to your enemies and you love your enemies? You're going to be heaping burning coals on, on their heads and actually God's going to be using it for his purposes um, do you need to be reminded, by the way, of the greatest example of this in the whole world? And you say, of, of what? Well, the fact that God would take something meant for evil and use it for good. The cross. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verses 8 through 20, 18 through 24. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called. Isn't that interesting? Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but he continued what? Entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on the, uh, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By the way, go real quickly and then we'll come back. Put a bookmark here in 1 Peter 2 and go with me real quickly to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, look at verses 22 and 23. Peter's preaching at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. 
Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, the men that put Jesus to death, their purposes were evil. But God had a greater purpose in mind. And aren't we glad that Jesus didn't retaliate? Aren't we glad that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly? Even in the garden, when he had the authority and the power to stop them from arresting him. You, you want to see evidence of that? In John chapter 18, the Bible says when that crowd came with their torches and their clubs to arrest him, he said, who have you come for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, our translations say, I am he. But in the Greek, all it says is, he said, I am. And when he said, I am, they all fell down backwards under the power of God. He had the power and the authority to stop it. Well, then, of course, they get right back up. Isn't that interesting? And they continue with their plan. And then Peter quickly grabs his sword and he starts defending Jesus. And Jesus tells him, put your sword away. He said, don't you realize I could ask my father and he could send 12 legions of angels to come? But how would scripture be fulfilled? You're getting in the way of what God's doing here by you trying to retaliate, Peter, by you trying to defend yourself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's dealing with the fact that amongst Christians in the church, they were suing each other. And what an embarrassment that was because they're going before the unjust, if you will, or the, 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 the pagans that don't know God in the courts, and there's Christians are suing each other. And then he said on top of that, Paul says, why not be wronged? Why not just lose whatever it is that you think, you know, give it up. Why do you feel like you have to defend yourself? Because when you think you have to defend yourself, you're actually making a statement about God. He's not watching or he's not going to handle it right or he's not able to take care of it. Pick whichever one you want. I hope you don't pick any of them and you leave that stuff to God. But unfortunately, in most of our churches today, the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest issue is Christians having issue with brothers and sisters in Christ and the retaliation that goes on. Oh, we don't retaliate. Oh, they might have talked to two people about you. You talked to five about them. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Go to verse 19. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been, what? Oh, it's not that you actually do a right. You've been called to respond that way. You've been called by God to be like Christ. You put your faith in the Father. You trust him to take care of you. You know that one day he doesn't, he doesn't miss anything. And he's going to right the right and, and wrong the, take care of the wrongs. But you have been called. Oh, please. God doesn't want us to be a doormat. You ever heard that? But what if he does? What if he does? 
In the eyes of the world, Jesus was a doormat. By the way, that's part of why Judas left. Judas thought Jesus was going to be this powerful ruler that's going to come and take over and conquer Rome. And the closer they got to the cross, the more he started to realize, this guy Jesus keeps talking about dying. I didn't sign up for this and went away. Susan Silver here, blessed are those who do not fall away on account of how I run my world or do my business on account of me. You're right. By the way, there's more to this here, by the way. He and then also he entrusted himself to one who judges justly. But not only did he entrust himself, he continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. See, I wrote in my notes here that when we don't retaliate when people do us wrong, we're also doing a couple of other things which we may not realize at the time. Now, before I go any further into that, the Lord just brought something to my mind that I hadn't thought about in years. Years ago when I was in college, I was living in a dorm at the University of New Hampshire. And it was my freshman year of college, and there were guys there that found out that I was a Christian. They found out that I had never drank. They found out that I was a virgin still and all this stuff. And they decided that the whole, my whole floor of that dorm decided that it was their job to fix my problem. Seriously. And I'm not going to go into the detail of telling you some of the things they did to try to fix it. And my flesh wanted to retaliate, but God would not let me. One man in the dorm, one day after I had responded with just grace and not retaliating, as I was walking by to the bathroom one day, he saw me and he said, come here for a minute. And he said, I've been watching you. He said, I got to be honest with you. I've been part of the group making fun of you, but I wish I was like you. I wish I was like you. Don't tell any of the other guys, but I wish I was like you. I don't know whatever happened from there, but you could be getting in the way of what God's trying to do when you retaliate. Some of you got neighbors that you don't like. They're hard to live with, hard to be next to. Edge their lawn when you edge yours. Be kind to them. Have they done mean things to you? Respond with the love of Christ. You don't know what God's doing. And like I said, there's a couple other things that we may not realize that we're doing when we don't retaliate. One, we are entrusting ourselves to God. Go to Luke chapter 23 and look at verse 36. In Luke 23, look at verse 46. 46, 23, 46. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Doesn't that sound a lot like Stephen? By the way, was Stephen being unjustly accused and treated? Of course. Go to Acts chapter 7. Look closely how he worded it. Acts chapter 7. Look at what comes out of his mouth. Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through 60. 
Now, when they heard these things, he just finished preaching. They were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Jesus said those same words. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, receive my spirit. Don't hold this against them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Stephen did not respond the way the world says you should respond and be impressive. He trusted himself to one who judges justly. And he also didn't want them to have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And interestingly enough, they were laying their coats at a young man by the name of who? Well, y'all know who he really is, right? Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. They meant it for evil. God had it in mind for something good. And thus began the journey of Paul's eyes being opened to who Jesus is. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 1 and 2. It just listed the men and women of faith, the whole chapter 11 of Hebrews. And by the way, if you go to the end of the chapter 11, it's not just people that received their, their children back from the dead or escaped the edge of the sword. It also talked about those who were killed by the sword, who were sawn in two. They had wandered in desert and caves. The world was not worthy of them. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1 of chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When Jesus, we've already seen this, went through what he went through on the earth, not just on the cross, but all the way through, what was his focus? Who was his focus? Where did he keep his mindset? On the Father. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I do nothing without the Father's permission. I keep my eyes on the Father. Even all the way through his prayer, he went to the Father. In the garden, he went to the Father. On the cross, he kept his eyes on the Father. The men kept taking their eyes off of God and putting them back on the storm or in the wind and the waves or on other people or the situation like we do. But Jesus was showing us, you keep your eyes on the Lord and he'll walk you through it. Stephen did the same. And we see that we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, just like he kept his eyes on the Father and the plan the Father had. Are you, are you, do you really trust that God's able to take care of you, even when it looks like you've been cheated in business? How many of you have gone back to the register because they overcharged you 25 cents? I know I'm going from preaching to meddling, but don't you think God keeps track? He knows. And you say, you know what? That's not that big of a deal. 25 cents to me is nothing. You know what my wife and I have decided when we're at restaurants? 
we have been bombing waiters and waitresses with tips because in our minds we look at it this way. One more dollar on the tip would seem not like much to us, but to them it's a lot. Think of the percentage increase. One more dollar for us is no big deal. One more dollar for them means a lot. So then we said, well, let's make it five or let's make it ten more. This past Saturday night, I was with a pastor over in Clearwater, and we went to a Sonny's barbecue, and we got the all-you-can-eat baby backs, by the way, and they were amazing. But we also brought with us our Bibles and our workbooks from uh, Stephen McVeigh's uh, Grace Walk Experience workbooks, and we have both been, I've worked mine through years ago, I introduced it to him, he's just been excited, and he said, bring your workbook when you come over to preach this weekend, and I want us to go out to dinner, and we want to talk about it, and we sat there for two hours. By the way, we not only sat there for two hours eating two hours worth of ribs, we also sat there and studied, and I'm loud, I can't help it, I was preaching the whole time, and it was obvious that the restaurant was listening, but so was our waitress. And I told her early in the night, I said, I know, I've been a waiter. I know in the back of your mind you're thinking, oh, no, these two guys are going to sit here until the restaurant closes. Oh, and by the way, we are. <laughs> and you're also thinking that you're not going to make any money because you, I know that you make your money by turning tables over. And the more you turn tables over, the more tips you get. I said, I promise you, we will make you so glad that we sat here for, for two hours tonight. She said, oh, I'm not worried about it. But she was. She said that because she works for tips. But as God was having us study and we're talking and preaching at each other and studying the scriptures and looking at the grace of God, when the bill came, the pastor tipped her well. And then I took a 20 out of my pocket and put it on top of that and just gave it to her. We tipped her twice as much as the bill was. And she came back and said, really? I said, I told you you'd be glad we were here. And then she said something amazing. She said, I'm glad that you were here money-wise, but I'm even more glad to be able to have heard what you guys were talking about. But we get so focused on making sure that we're going to be taken care of financially and whether or not someone cheats us with money. Folks, there's a verse that God put on my heart this morning. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says this. He who gives freely becomes even more rich. He who withholds what he's supposed to give will suffer want. I'm going to challenge you to trust God with your finances and not worry about whether or not you've been cheated or someone's done you wrong. You're probably dealing with contractors who haven't kept their word. Wow, that's a surprise. That's never happened before. <laughs> but you know what? These contractors might have had a bad thing in mind, but God might also have something good in mind. But if you take your time to make sure that you're taken care of and you retaliate and you make sure that you defend yourself Something that God might have meant for good might not happen because you're too busy getting in the way and swinging your sword, Peter. Put it away. Trust God. Ask for wisdom. And show the grace of God. I told you we're going to go to meddling. Let me also point something else that God showed me from this. There's a second thing that's happening when we entrust ourselves to him and we don't retaliate. You're opening yourself up to receive mercy because you've been merciful. Remember, Matthew, go back to Matthew chapter 5. It was a few weeks ago that we saw that verse, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, 
Why? For they shall receive mercy. Remember, mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. Isn't it ironic? I wrote down in my, my notes here, if you're seeking retaliation for others and desiring them to get what they deserve, how can you expect or ever ask for mercy for yourself? How hypocritical is that? God, I need your mercy. And we all do. Yet we don't want mercy for someone else. The Bible said, blessed are the merciful, for those are the ones who are going to receive mercy. The main me- Well, go to Matthew 7. Look what he says in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you see or use, it will be used to you, measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The same measure you judge, it'll be given to you. Do you really want God to treat you with the same way you treated the contractor? We've all done him wrong. We were all guilty. We've all done things we shouldn't have done, sometimes by accident, sometimes intentionally. And are we glad for the mercy of God? But if you retaliate and don't show mercy, how can you ever ask for mercy for yourself? So what I want to do now is I want us to go back to Matthew 5, and let's reread this passage again now and see how it reads totally different now, now that we're looking at the heart of the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love what he says there in verse 44 and 45. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. Go with me to Romans chapter 5, and hopefully you'll see why uh, Jesus says this. Romans chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. By the way, another one of those much more passages I'm going to teach on on the cruise ship in November. But look closely. It says, when we were his enemy, he died for us. Now, someone might die, dare to die for a righteous person or a good person. Someone might dare to die. They might be good to their friends, not their enemies. But God showed his love that he died for us when we were his enemies. And folks, when you don't retaliate, but actually show love to the people that are out to get you, your enemies, you'll be looking like a son or a daughter of God. Now, I'm not talking for you to uh, show love in the way that I heard years ago on the Click and Clack radio program. Do you even know who I'm talking about when I say Click and Clack? Some of you do, right? Show hands. Some of you know Click and Clack. All right, for those of you that don't know, they're called the Car Talk Guys, all right? These are two brothers in New England who had an awesome, funny radio show where they would, people would call in and ask for help with their automobile, and they would diagnose over their phone how to fix it. This one lady called in one time, and she talked about how she had brought her uh, car to this one uh, repair shop, and it never got fixed. It kept bringing it back, kept bringing it back, kept bringing it back, and it never got fixed. And she said, what do I do? He said, here's what you do next time. You bring the car to them again to fix it. And you bring with them, with you, a big banana bread. And you bring the banana bread to the guys and you say to these guys, look, I appreciate the fact that you've tried and tried and tried to fix my car and haven't been able to. I understand that. Here, I want to give you this gift as appreciation. And he said, once they take a bite of your banana bread, then tell them you'll give them the antidote as soon as they fix your car. <laughs> All right, no, I, I'm not talking in that way. I'm not talking in that way. Don't fake your generosity. Don't fake your love, but be sincere. Let your love be genuine. Folks, when you truly show your love toward them, you'll be demonstrating that you're a child of God. That you're a child of God. I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer this out loud if you want to. How do we honestly treat our perceived enemies in the church or in our families today? Anybody dare throw a few things out? We stay away from them. We, act, we ignore them. We slander them. We hope bad things happen to them and are glad inwardly when it does. A lot of times when I'll be playing golf with some of my buddies and they hit a bad shot, I'll come up to them and say, I have to admit, I inwardly rejoiced. But... Uh, um, Listen, be careful, though, your heart might be being revealed. Your heart might be being revealed. We're going to do something that we probably haven't done since the last wedding we went to. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 13 and allow God to speak to us. Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Because if we're going to be sons and daughters of God and demonstrate the love of God and the grace of God, if we're going to show the love of God, look at 1 Corinthians 13 carefully. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. 
If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. By the way, when we look at our leaders in the church, we shouldn't be looking at their gifts or how impressive they are or how important they appear. The question we should be looking at, does this person love me? Do I sense the love of God flowing through this person? Those are the ones who should be in leadership. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And by the way, how many of us have we seen something like that in our business meetings? Love's not irritable or resentful when somebody else gets picked for the solo in the choir special. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. What's that last one there? Endures all things. Love never ends. Some of your translations say never fails. That's fine. Now, as for prophecies, they're going to pass away. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Folks, do you realize most of the time that we make judgments about our brothers and our sisters, we're actually making judgments about their motives. Well, I know what he's really trying to do. I know what she really meant by that. And we make judgments about people's motives. Who of you really know what people's motives are? Paul, who was pretty impressive with smarts, I would think, said, we know in part. We don't have the full picture. We don't fully understand what's going on. And if you're willing to daily lay your flesh on the altar and say yes to the Spirit of God to be in control and believe that God is sovereign and He's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your food. He's going to take care of your clothes. He's going to take care of your death. He's going to take care of every aspect. He's promised to come in and to lead and to guide and to take care of you. And when you trust Him, even if people are out to get you, it's okay. Because God's in control. And actually... He might be allowing these things to happen to you to show you your real heart. He's doing it in love. Remember last week? What's in your bucket? Some of you might be getting hit right now. What's in your bucket? Are you feeling like you need to retaliate? You need to right the wrong? Or you got to make sure some things are taken care of? Are you willing to entrust yourself to God and let him handle it like he's able and are you willing to wait and think that God might actually have something better in mind than what you think needs to be done? Back in Matthew chapter 5, at the end of the last verse of our section, Jesus ends our section tonight by saying, we have to be perfect as God is perfect. Now, hopefully you'll all realize by this point that that's impossible, correct? That's the whole point. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he said that the righteousness needed to surpass the Pharisees, which would make that crowd go, well, who's going to be able to do that? And now at the end of the sermon, actually not the end, but the end of this section of the sermon, he says, you need to be perfect 
as your heavenly Father is perfect. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Isn't that interesting? We all could say, strive, remember the passage that says, strive for holiness with no one will see the Lord. Did you know in the context it's tied to striving for peace with everyone? By the way, striving for peace with everyone does not mean I'm just not going to talk to that person. Striving for peace with everyone, the Bible says in Matthew 18, that if you know your brother has something against you, or you even have something against your brother, go to them. That doesn't mean they're going to respond the way you would want them to. But as far, I think we read in Romans chapter 12, as far as it lies with you, live at peace with everyone. Hopefully we realize that without God giving us our righteousness, we aren't going to be righteous. Hopefully without God giving us his holiness, we aren't going to be holy. Yet at the same time, since we have been giving this, the Bible says we ought to be living out of our new nature. The old should be gone. The new has come. We need to be daily allowing the Spirit of God, which has provided us that holiness, that should be shown to the rest of the world. And that means we're going to look like Jesus and we're going to be fine. I picture Jesus and when he went into his hometown of Nazareth and he, he went into the synagogue and he, and he read from the passage in Isaiah and it, where it said, The Spirit of the Lord, Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and open the eyes of the blind. And then he closed the passage and he said, This has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they were a little bit shocked because they knew that was the Messiah passage. And they, Jesus then says to him, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, uh, do some of the miracles you did in Capernaum. He said, a prophet's not without honor in his hometown. And let me throw one more thing out at you. He said, by the way, back in the day uh, when there was a famine in Israel, there were a lot of widows that were hungry. But God sent Elijah to a widow in Tyre and Sidon. Oh, in the time when Naaman was healed of his leprosy, there were a lot of people with leprosy in Israel. But God healed a Gentile named Naaman. Oh, when they heard him say that God cares for the Gentiles, they got mad and they dragged him out to the cliff. And he was about to shove him off this cliff to put him to his death in his hometown. But the Bible says that he was able to just quietly and peacefully walk back through the crowd and go away. Isn't that interesting? They're trying physically to throw him off, but somehow, supernaturally, he was able to just walk away. And I almost picture Jesus thinking to himself, I'm going to die on a hill someday, but not this hill and not today. Because my father's in control. And he just calmly went away. Mary and Martha say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And he doesn't move. Boy, I wish I had learned that years ago when I was a pastor. My family will tell you I spent too much time trying to be there when everybody said I should be there. And I neglected my wife and my kids. But Jesus, who kept his eyes on the Father, knew that the Father had something greater in mind, and he let him die. But yet, God did something pretty amazing with raising Lazarus from the dead. Would you not agree? Even though when he showed up, they both said to him, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But he wasn't worried of what people thought. He kept his eyes on the father. Folks, if you're even thinking about retaliation or getting a lawyer, you've taken your eyes off the father. He's able to take care of you. 
What if they get away with it? I want to make sure that they don't get away with it anymore. You ever had people say that? Oh, that sounds so righteous. You've got two pigs. And he's asking for one. Paul, a Pharisee, by the way, tried for perfection. Go to Philippians 3. We'll close with this tonight. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul, a Pharisee, tried for perfection. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Remember that guy that was standing there while Stephen was being stoned? Start in verse 4 of Philippians chapter 3. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, he said, there wasn't anybody that could accuse me of breaking the law of God. Of course, God knew he had, because remember, it's not just the outward actions, but it's the heart. But if anybody were to look at me, it looked like I kept the law blamelessly. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of what? All things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul strove for perfection, thought he was getting there, and he came to realize he wasn't even close. And he realized he needed to have someone else give him righteousness. And when he met Jesus, Jesus gave him that righteousness. He put his faith in him, and he sent him on a new path. And this same God that would jockey for position, I'm sure there were a few people over the years that he pushed out of the way as he climbed the ladder of his success. That same guy now wasn't worried about that anymore, and he was willing to take a role that even meant he was going to suffer the rest of his life. He was going to be accused of being a false prophet or not an apostle. He was even questioned by the church, and he said, I don't even defend myself against you in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I don't care if I'm judged by you or any human court. I, in fact, I don't even judge myself. I'm leaving that all up to the Lord, who in the end is going to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And then he goes on after that, and we see that actually he lived his life in such a way that in some instances, God would allow him to pull out his Roman citizen card and keep from getting beating, a beating. But in other times, God told him to keep it, and he took the beating when he didn't have to. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In those times, though, that God told him to pull out the Roman citizen card, God did some cool stuff. In the time that he didn't pull out the Roman citizen card, God did some cool stuff. Folks, stop living by your principles and live by the Spirit and walk with Him a day at a time. And He'll show you when He wants you to do what. And don't do anything until you know that He's told you to. But you know what? This Paul wasn't satisfied with the level of walk that he had with the Lord. Let's finish now in verses 10 through 21. This Pharisee that had tried for perfection and holiness found it. And he kept striving for more holiness. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, in anything you think otherwise, meet me in the back parking lot. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He said, God will reveal that also to you. I don't have to win the argument. I don't have to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Now, did Paul do everything perfectly? No. We see in Acts chapter 15 that he got into a spat with Barnabas. And by the way, if you can get Barnabas mad to the fact that you'll split, you can, you, you can get somebody pretty mad because it takes a lot to get Barnabas mad. He's not perfect. You and I have not done it perfectly. You and I have retaliated. You and I have called the lawyer. You and I have tried to defend ourselves. You and I have embarrassed Christ. Forget what's behind. Strain toward what's ahead. Don't beat yourself up tonight if the Spirit of God has hit you between the eyes and stepped on your toes and convicted you. But now say, Lord, thank you for the, fact, the fact that you've made me yours. Now I want to go closer, striving for that. I want to be known as someone that's trying to get closer to you. And I want, as I do that, for your love to spill out on me all around, that someone would know that I'm your child just simply because the love that they experienced in my presence. Those of you that are mature, that's going to be your heart. I want that to be my heart as well. I thank God for all that he's done in me and through me over the years, but I'm not done. He's not done. Hopefully you're not done. Some of you older than me think you're done. Are you breathing? You're not done. You're not done. So where do we focus? To go out and do a better job and live for Jesus? Is that what we're to do? I sure hope you don't say yes, because I'll start all over this whole passage. No, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We walk with Jesus. And he'll show us a step at a time how we're to do it. Oh, by the way, one of the ways that will help you take your eyes and focus them on Jesus is take your eyes off of everybody around you and how well they're running the race. And you put them on Jesus, and you'll be happy. I love you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And I hope to have a really good tan when I do. <laughs>